Good morning, everybody. So good to see you here this morning. If you're a guest with us today, we're delighted that you've joined us for worship. If you're tuning in on socc.tv, we're glad that you're worshiping with us online as well. Uh, we're in this series, Walk Like Jesus, and just an, another aspect, another facet today to peer into his life and how that might impact us as well. You don't hear the word used often, especially in casual conversation. As a matter of fact, you're likely to hear it only in the context of, of worship. It is the word exalted. Uh, whenever I hear the word exalted, and I don't know about you, what you hear, but I immediately think of God. I, I can't think of the word exalted out of the context of God. It just, it just doesn't seem to fit. The two seem to go together. And while it's not a word that we use very often, it's interesting to me that the New International Version of of, of scripture uses the word over a hundred times in scripture. So we get this idea that exalted uh, is a pretty important scriptural meaning. Um, and, and so let me just give you some of the passages where it pops up throughout scripture so that you can get the context of what happens when we exalt. Uh, the Israelites had just crossed through the Red Sea and were now forever freed from their Egyptian bondage. And in Exodus 15, we read, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. When the Lord saved David from the jealous and vengeful King Saul, David erupted in these words of praise, The Lord lives Praise be to my rock, exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. Even in the midst of his deep suffering, Job could sincerely proclaim, the Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress and when Paul winds up that incredible passage of Scripture in Philippians 2 where he talks about the very nature of Christ, this is his conclusion. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Now, in another context, Jesus warns his listeners, as well as us, with this statement. Luke 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, what exactly does this word exalted mean? We've read it in several different contexts. What does it mean? Well, the word exalted finds its root word... In the word height, height. And it means literally lifted up. It is this very word that Jesus used in that dark after dark conversation with the skeptical seeker named Nicodemus. Nicodemus and Jesus are having this conversation and Jesus interjects these words. Just as Moses lifted up. That's the word that we translate elsewhere, exalt. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Again, the word exalt. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And you say, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's, he's referencing a really fascinating story in the book of Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites were in the midst of their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. <clears throat> and the Edomites 
had refused them peaceful passage through their territory, which meant that the Israelites had to basically turn around and through an arduous, circuitous path, go in the opposite direction of where they were wanting to go. Now, that, that frustrated everybody. And so they're, they're, they're tired from their wanderings. They're frustrated with the Edomites. They're hungry. They're hot. And so the Israelites do what they're really good at doing at this point in time, and that is complain. And they griped against Moses. And then worse, they griped against God. You see, God had graciously provided this miraculous food every morning called manna. And on that occasion, the Israelites grumbled about the manna. They said they detested it and that it was miserable food. Whew, that's harsh. If you leave this morning with a scowl on your face saying that you detest my preaching and that the sermon was miserable, don't expect me to seem appreciative. <laughs> now, the sermon may be miserable, granted, but I'd prefer you deal with it in a slightly different, more positive manner, all right? Manna, however, was not detestable. It was not miserable. It was nourishing, plentiful, and provided, provided every morning free of charge as a gift from God. And as you can imagine, God took offense to their complaint. He'd had it up to here with their complaining through all this time. It was discipline time for the Israelites. And it's as if God was saying, you want to see something miserable? Here you go. And suddenly venomous snakes begin to filter into the encampment. Their painful burning bites produce this flame Flaming sensation, and in many cases, the venom from the snakes caused death. Now, the Sinai Peninsula is home to a lot of venomous snakes. Uh, you've got adders, you've got carpet vipers, you've got cobras. Uh, and it didn't take long for the people to realize that they had sinned, and they asked Moses uh, to, to pray for them. Now, i got to tell you, th th this whole story just creeps me out all the snakes and stuff like that. But it is a powerful story, and, and, and you need to see where Jesus is going with this and how it lays the groundwork for our understanding of exalted. Moses prayed. God gives him the most unusual, illogical remedy that you could possibly imagine for snake bite. God instructed Moses to make a copper, brass, or bronze serpent, something like that, and put it on a pole, and then the, and the instructions were that anybody that looked up at the brass snake would be healed. Now, does that make any sense? No, of course not. But God is looking for the obedience of faith as a sign of their regret and their repentance. You see, if the, if the solution was logical, if God had said something like, okay, make an ointment, put it on the snake bite, and you'll be healed, what's going to happen? The people are going to be proud of themselves. They made the ointment. They put the ointment on the snake bite. They were healed. They're responsible for their own salvation or healing. But looking up at a brass snake on a pole? Come on. What's the last thing you want to look at if you've been snake bit? Another snake. And where's the last place you want to look up if you've got vipers at your feet? It's up. I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to dance around and keep your eyes on the snake so you don't get bit. Who wants to look up at a snake on a pole? Here's the, here's the truth. God said, do you trust me enough to do something that doesn't make sense? And those who looked up were saved and healed. 
While we were in Jordan recently, we stopped at the Memorial Church on Mount Nebo. Now, there is a modern building you can see that is built over the remains of an ancient church that was erected there to supposedly celebrate and memorialize the place where Moses was taken up by God to Mount Nebo to look over into the promised land. And it's a beautiful view from up there. I took this picture on that day. It was not a clear day. It was a rainy day, actually. But what a beautiful view as you look from that place where that church is located all the way out there. That's the promised land over there. And on a clear day, I understand you can actually see Jerusalem from there. And on this site, some sculptor has erected a memorial to this very story we're talking about. You can see it, can't you? There's a pole, and the snake has wound up around the pole, and it, well, it has the look of a cross, doesn't it? You see, Jesus made the comparison between himself and this unique moment in the wilderness. Jesus spoke of his destiny as being lifted up. And we, of course, recognize that as a reference to his crucifixion. And there are similarities between these two events. The death of Christ as a cure for our sin seems so counterintuitive, so illogical to us. When we're under the penalty of death because of our sin, what's the last thing we want to look at? Somebody else dying. And when problems seem to surround us, what's the last thing we want to do? Take our eyes off the problems. If God wants to challenge our faith, what would be the best way to do it? Well, the best way would be to present a cure that doesn't make sense. You see, God could have said to us, okay, you've sinned. You've done what is wrong. Now, here's the cure. You do more right things than wrong things, and you'll be saved. And at the end of that, if we did more right things than we did wrong things, what would we have done? patted ourselves on the shoulder and said, wow, we did great. We have earned our salvation. But God knew there was no way we could earn something so grand and so awesome. And so what God does is he, he gives us something that really doesn't make human sense. He, he tells us to look to Jesus on the cross, that if we will trust him, if we will become his disciple, if we will follow him, if we will exalt God, then God will save us. You mean, you mean this doesn't have anything to do with whether I can do more good than bad? No, it has, you, has to do with you trusting what I'm doing on your behalf. As the Israelites looked up at the snake on the pole, so God says, you look up to my son on the cross and trust me at that point. Do you see the comparison? Through the cross, God shouts across the ages, trust me. And once Jesus had been lifted up figuratively, God exalted him. Uh, once he'd been lifted up literally, God exalted him, lifting him up figuratively and gave him the name that is above every name. So you see, exalted comes from a very, a very strong heritage of our faith. Exalted is a powerful word. It means to lift up the Lord with our praise through our words and through our actions, to honor him above everything else with everything that is in us. It's a powerful word. Many years ago, this verse from Psalms 46 was read in, in a church service. It was, it was back before it was in this building. It was in the old building. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and this is God speaking in Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, that's a powerful statement, but it wasn't read that way. And, and the gentleman that was reading it didn't realize he was misreading it. But this is how it was read. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exhausted among the nations. I will be exhausted in the earth. And I'm sitting on the front row trying to stifle a snicker. You know, I've got my hands, you know, trying to. And then it hit me. I wonder how often God is exhausted with our efforts to praise him. I wonder how frequently God is exhausted with the lives that we live in an attempt to be his children in this world so poorly. I wonder how often God is exhausted with what we bring to him as our best. You see, I, 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 I guess I, it, it boils down to this. We either exalt God or we exhaust God. And, and we have the choice of which one we do. It seems to me that Jesus always exalted the Father in everything, thus giving us a similar pattern to follow. So what is it that we can learn from his example? Well, Jesus exalted the Father as the source and the reason for everything he did. John's gospel records this prayer in, in chapter 17 that Jesus prayed on the night before he went to the cross. Sometimes we call this his high priestly prayer. He, he, he opens up with the prayer before God. Then he prays for his disciples. And then actually he prays for us. Prays for all of those who will follow that are yet to come. That, that includes us. It's a powerful prayer. But in these first five verses, we get a glimpse into what it meant for Jesus to exalt the Father. Now, the theme of this five verses is glorifying God, which is what exalting is, to lift him up, to glorify him, to praise him, all that kind of stuff. Just listen to what Jesus has to say. After Jesus said this, he looked, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I want you to notice how Jesus prayed. Firstly, he looked up. Did you see that? And Jesus looked up and he prayed. Now, I, I don't know how you pray. I don't know what your posture is. Most of the time when I pray, I tend to bow my head and close my eyes. But Jesus did neither of those. He looked up. There's something significant to me in that when he is talking about exalting the Father. Remember, the word exalt means height. It comes from the word height. It means lifted up, looking up. As if God is above us, which he is, not maybe in the sense of floating above us, but above us in every aspect of life, greater than us. And he prays out of his humanity. He addresses him as father, as, as, as his Lord and God. 
Oh, Father, he prays. Now, the theme is his glorification, not to be understood as, hey, Father, make me look good in all of this. No, no, no. When John uses the word glorification or talks about the glory of Christ or the glorification of Christ, he's talking about that moment in history that we celebrate coming up soon, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the glorification of Christ. That's this unique moment for which he came. And Jesus prays that through that plan that, that has been designed, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that the Father will be exalted. And Jesus acknowledges that the authority for everything that he does comes from God. So he exalts God for the power to accomplish it all. The purpose is that people, all people, will know the Father and the Son. In other words, I will lift you up so everybody will see you. Jesus exalted the Father by his obedience. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That's, that's, that's obedience. Jesus saying, I did everything you asked, and that has brought you glory. And then Jesus exalted the Father for his greatness. He said, you are the only true God. Now, I think we too often limit our praise and exaltation to what happens in this room. We come into this room every Sunday and we, and we sing and we study and we read and we sleep and we say everything that I'm doing in this room is being lifted up to God as exaltation. This is where I exalt God. Now, if that's what you feel, you've missed the point of exaltation. Now, I, I, I'm not taking away from anything we do here. I think what we do here on Sunday is really important. I think gathering together as God's people to worship together, I think that is incredibly important. I wouldn't take anything away from that. But if this is the sum total of your praise, if this is the sum total of the time that you exalt him, then you've missed the point of what the whole concept of exalting God is all about. You've missed the whole concept of being alive in this world. The reason we exist is so that we can bring honor and glory to God, that we exalt him with our lives. So, what can we learn from the Lord's example? Let me, let me share it this way. I can exalt God every day by pointing others to him. That, that's, our, that's our statement. I can exalt God every day by pointing others to him. When you're at home, when you're out at the mall, when you're at your desk, in the classroom, caring for the sick, in a business meeting, on the road for your job, on the road for a vacation, how often do you ask yourself this question? What have I done today to help others catch a glimpse of God in my life? How often do you wake up in this morning and your first thought is, okay, Lord, what ways, what words can I use to point other people to you this day? Can I be honest with you? I seldom wake up with that on my mind. I usually wake up with all the things I got to get done today. But shouldn't we, if our goal is to exalt God in our lives, shouldn't, shouldn't that first thought be, okay, Lord, what can I say, what can I do today that will point somebody else to you? Please understand, I don't mean load up your pockets with religious pamphlets and cheesy lines about your faith. Those aren't the words and the actions we're looking for. I mean, we make fun of people who use cheesy lines, don't we? I mean, have you ever read some of these cheesy lines people use to ask for a date? Like, like are you accepting applications for a fan club? Or, I didn't know angels flew so low. Or this is my favorite. Is your name Wi-Fi? Because I'm feeling a real connection here. <laughs> Goodness. I can't, I, anybody with two brain cells knocking together shouldn't be using lines like that. I can't believe they're effective or that people respond to lines like that. 
But sometimes we Christians use pretty cheesy lines about our faith. Have you ever seen this? C-H blank blank C-H. What's missing? You are. Uh-huh. Or how about this one? If God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. Or this one. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Now, uh, please don't misunderstand me. I am not, I, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from the messages those are trying to create. But the rhetoric is a turnoff to the world. Yes, I believe that you are important to the church. We together form the church. That, that's something. And I believe with all my heart that God will bring us through the tough times. And I believe with all my heart that the word of God is, is the standard upon which I build my life. So if you want to use those cheesy lines with me, that's just fine. You go ahead and give them to me and I'll say amen. But don't you use them out in the world. Don't use them out in the world. You see, God wants us to be an example to him, not using cheesy lines that to the world who is seeking, who doesn't have the background that you and I have, it makes it sound like a, a flippant, casual answer as if everything has an answer. And it doesn't. Some things in, the li in this life don't have answers for it. Some answers we won't discover in this life. It won't be until we get home and God can explain why. So I'm telling you, if you want to point others to Christ, don't be a Christian cliche. Be sincere, be genuine, be thoughtful, generous, considerate, and gracious when dealing with others. That's when they will see Christ in you, and that's when God will be exalted in those actions. Here's something else. I can exalt God every day by living out what he asks of me. Be consistent with what God asks of us. Be consistent with what we claim. Be consistent with what others are expecting of us. The world is watching us as Christians, and they're watching through a magnifying glass. So be careful. And if you claim to be nothing, that's what people will expect from you, nothing. But who wants to live their life being nothing? As a Christian, I feel honor-bound to live as God wants me to live. And when I'm obedient to him, it exalts him. When I'm disobedient to him, and folks, I drop the ball far more often than I should, it dishonors him. I suspect we all do. But like we talked a couple weeks ago, obedience is God's love language. He is exalted when we act like true children of his. By the way, let me ask you this. Can genuine words of exultation and praise come from lives that are devoted to sinful behavior? We are so good at rationalizing. <laughs> what student hasn't said this with a bad score on a test? Well, if you think I got a bad grade, you should have seen what so-and-so got. How many of you have used that with a parent? When you, am I the only one that, that's tried that one? You know, we can justify, we can excuse, we can explain until we feel vindicated. But be ever so careful with your justification. We are warned about such verbal gymnastics. In the book of James, we read this. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Let us make sure that our lives back up what we claim. And then this one. I can exalt God every day by looking up to him, the only true God. You know, I've noticed this through life, that when uh, things are tough, we, we look up a lot. 
But when things are good, we tend to forget about God. Um, the sun is shining, my problems are small, my body is healthy, my neighbors are nice, my boss gave me a compliment, I've got all I need to eat and more. Boy, I've got the world in its grasp, in my grasp. There's, you see, my thing is that we ought to look up just as much when things are going good as when things are going bad. We ought to look up with gratitude. Today is not a day like it could be. Today has been a wonderful day, Lord, and you deserve my gratitude. When's, when's the last time you stopped to be grateful to God for your life? When's, when's the last time you stopped to realize that he is the only true God? When's the last time you stopped to marvel at the fact that he still loves us and is patiently enduring our immaturity? When's the last time you paused to look out over God's creation and exalt him for it? I mean, do you realize that creation exalts God? Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. That's creation exalting him. In less than a month, we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday. It was the day when Jesus entered Jerusalem and to the praise of the people and was proclaimed as, as uh, the Savior, as the King, the Son of David. And when he entered, the Pharisees were indignant. And Luke records it this way in chapter 19. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The rocks will speak? You mean if everybody else stays mute, the rocks will speak? Ah, oh, that's creation exalting him. God created everything. The animals followed his direction to the ark. Balaam's donkey could see the angel in the road when the prophet Balaam could not. And the colt on which Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem had never been ridden before. Do you know what, an, what a horse or a donkey or a mule is like when, when they've never been ridden? But this colt carries Jesus calmly, peacefully into the city. It's as if the colt recognized his creator and carried him where he needed to go. That's the creation exalting the Father. Psalm 148 says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail and snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. Do you get it? All of creation exalts him. So when we don't, where does that leave us? I mean, all you have to do, all you have to do is look at the creation around you and, and you can't help but being lifted up before God, to, to, to look up to his greatness, to be amazed and marvel at his creative genius. Can I tell you just about one tiny two-gram creature of God's creation? Two grams isn't very much. Uh, the, the, it, it is the creature, the basilisk. Uh, it is a type of lizard, sometimes irreverently called the Jesus lizard because it walks on water. Actually, it doesn't walk on water. It runs on water. 
Now I want you to take a look at that picture and I want you to remember the lizard's head and eyes at this moment just because we'll come back to that in a minute. But the lizard's large hind feet have long toes with scaly fringe on either side of the third, fourth, and fifth digits. When on solid ground, that fringe remains folded up and unused. But on the water, the fringes spread out, providing a greater surface area on the foot. And the legs operate in a fashion much like a, a, a bicycle pedal, like this. Now, our legs don't operate like that. Ours go back and forth. But this lizard's legs go, go around like a bicycle pedal. Now, it's, it, the motion is more uh, oval than it is circular, but the same kind of circular fashion. And I'm telling you, this lizard can put down 20 steps per second. Now, that, that's quick. The closest thing I've ever seen to that is when you leave here after a bad sermon. <laughs> we human beings can't even begin to reach 20 steps per second. And yet this lizard, and, and with, with that motion, and, and what happens is when that foot hits the water, it forms an air cushion beneath it, and with the rapidity of, of those feet hitting it, 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 that air cushion keeps it on the surface of the water. The lizard can run up to six miles per hour and can cross 65 feet of water before it runs out of energy. But that's fast enough and far enough to escape the much slower predators who are wanting to make it lunch. And this lizard weighing only two grams can generate energy that supports 225% of its body weight. And maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just the uniqueness of the picture. Did you notice where he was looking as he ran? He's looking up. Maybe it's just me, but, but maybe, just maybe in God's design, as he runs, he looks up to exalt his God, the creator. And you say, well, how does a lizard exalt God? Just by being what it is. By being something so incredible in its design. You know, and all these pieces of that lizard have to come together at the same time for him to be able to do what he does. I mean, when you look at him, you cannot help but look at his creator and say, wow, God, what an incredible design. How does such a creature exalt God? By being. How do we exalt God? By being who he wants us to be. The message of the last verse of the book of Psalms is our challenge this morning, and I want you to read it out loud with me. You ready? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If everything that has breath praises him, then we who are the crown of his creation ought to be leading the chorus. Let our lives, like that of Jesus, be lives that exalt the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.